Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, one of the hosts for the longest-running Dynasty-focused podcast on the planet, the DLF Dynasty Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you an episode packed with relevant and actionable Dynasty information that you can use to help win your league. When I'm in the host chair, we might even play a game or two. We are always open to topic suggestions, so if there's something you'd like to hear us discuss, please let us know. Thanks for listening. James the Brain. Guys, the St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup, and I am super happy. I feel like I hoisted the cup. My arms are, are tired from, from celebrating so much. That's Stompy Sam Lane, who actually, by the way, lives in the St. Louis area. <laughs> yeah, woohoo. But, but James is alive, guys. He came, he's back from the dead, and now he gets to choose his new moniker or nickname. So it's either Gandalf the Brain or James the White. Ooh. I feel um, like that latter one is a little bit uh, white supremacist. <laughs> I'm just going to wait and go by James the defending, the reigning defending undisputed SFB9 champion. Does oh, that sound good? Oh, honey. <laughs> oh, honey. Uh, I am John, the Tau of Superflex Hogan. This is a Superflex Super Show. Back after a week off. And yeah, James is back from the dead. That's pretty cool. Uh, Stompy is about to defend his world championship. Uh, universal championship, in fact. Yep. In uh, the Scott Fishbowl. That's pretty cool. And we are going to get a little bit psychological today. We're going to talk about some cognitive distortions in Dynasty football, obviously with a super flex slant, but we just want to, we want to retrain, reprogram the Dynasty brains out there um, and get rid of those exaggerated and irrational thought patterns. So we've got a handful of cognitive distortions that afflict the dynasty community on a regular basis, and we're going to debunk them and start to reprogram them. How's that sound, boys? And James, have you decided yet? Are we? Are, it's Gandalf, right? I to me that seems like the obvious answer, but dude, I already said what my I, I really have to choose between these two. All we right. can't, I mean, we can't wait that long. We can't. We can't wait that long. Plus, it's going to be a waste of time. So, yeah. What what happens? It, what happens time. when SFB nine comes and goes? And now we have to Perfect. wait to call you the SFB ten champion. This is. <laughs> I can be how, right how long? How long? SFB nine champion until SFB ten comes, and I'll be two time SFB champion. Okay, so here's a prime example by the way, mm-hmm. of a cognitive distortion. This mm-hmm. is kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Mm-hmm. James has the idea that he's going to win uh, He's going to win the Scott Fishbowl, um, not once, but twice. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the belief, right? The mm-hmm. truth of the matter is uh, he's he probably won't even make the playoffs. Did you make the playoffs oh, last year even? I, I plead the fifth. 
<laughs> so that was a no. <laughs> That's a resounding no. Yeah, guess what? The Constitution doesn't apply to podcasts. This is a court of the people, James, and that's a okay. no. Well, I will tell you right now that I had the highest score one week of all SFB participants, and that was because I started Derrick Henry, and he ended up with a 99-yard touchdown run that game. So <laughs> I, I I'll started have you know. So, so, so did Come I, James. You want- Are you kidding so really, both of you? I but I outscored you both that week. Oh no, 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 not the, the not Derrick Henry. I had the highest score one week. You want to guess which week that was? <laughs> All right. So uh, moving on. Uh, championship. <laughs> now we got to insert that John Cena intro music. <laughs> yes, do it. All right. Meanwhile, uh, another cognitive distortion would be the idea that Stompy is going to repeat as champion of the Scott Fishbowl. The likelihood of that is, I mean, by a lot of ticket, you're more likely to win that. Oh, oh word. (laughs) Statistics don't apply to me because I'm actually good at fantasy football. Okay, good for you. Good for you. Statistical outlier. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get to some more cognitive distortions. Um, Some that that, uh, afflict those outside of this particular podcast. And uh, we're going to start with you, Stomp. We want to get a, uh, a cognitive distortion and set us straight on it as well. So I don't know. <laughs> this might be my own cognitive distortion as well. So it, we're in a weird quantum realm right now. Uh, <laughs> and, and it really stems from my love of Lamar Jackson. Mm. But I feel like the hype around Josh Allen has grown and i've seen too much of josh allen is going to be a good good quarterback and he might be a good fantasy quarterback but i even doubt that at this point a lot of people will point to the last four weeks of the season which i believe he was the qb1 or qb3 so last five weeks of the season josh allen was the qb1 and that's all well and good and you can continue to point to that all you want The fact remains is that he still only had a 52 to 53% completion percentage. And a lot of people will point to me because I do love Lamar Jackson and say, well, Lamar Jackson didn't uh, throw for over 200 yards or only threw for over 200 yards once when he started. And, And Josh Allen threw for over 200 yards in all five of those games. That's all well and good. But he still only – or he, he averaged like 10 more throws per game than Lamar Jackson. And he only co- – and he completed less than Lamar Jackson. And then the next argument is, well, he had more yards rushing than Lamar Jackson in those five games. And again, all well and good, but let's take this into context. He had two 100-plus yard games. He had two games of 30 or yards or less. And then he had a 95-yard game. So he's up and down. Not to mention that Josh Allen was never much of a runner in college. I mean, sure, he had 523 yards in in 2016, 204 in 2017. Guess what Lamar Jackson had his final two seasons in college? He had 1,500 and 1,600. So he averaged almost 1,600 yards rushing in his last two seasons. And that's because Lamar Jackson is a better runner than Josh Allen. Josh Allen basically had to run for his life. 
and really he had to run for his life because he's not a good pocket passer. He gets through one or two reads and then he tucks and runs. They don't design plays for him to run. They design plays for Lamar Jackson to run. So what that tells me is that, yes, that, or, or sorry, what that tells me is that defenses are going to spy on Josh Allen, keep a middle linebacker in there to spy on him and force him to throw. And to date, I, he has not proven himself to be a good thrower. Whereas Lamar Jackson got better in every season in college, Josh Allen basically flatlined the last two seasons, completing 56% of his passes. And he had 21 interceptions. So it's just, I don't know where this is coming from. I think a lot of people are putting too much on those final five weeks and thinking that Josh Allen is a good runner when really it's because he tuck and ran for his life and he's not a good pocket passer. Yeah, I think those are all really good points. I'm going to focus on on the uh, the main point that uh, that you had brought up here, um, and and the main thing that the, your main belief um, that you were you were arguing against is that Josh Allen is a good quarterback. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go delve too too deep into the Josh Allen versus Lamar Jackson thing. I think you did a good job of representing that, Stompy. But as far as Josh Allen goes, you know the one the the few things that he proved he could do well. You you touched on he can run the ball, um, and you're right they weren't designed runs. They were kind of broken plays out of the pocket. Uh, you know he made plays with his legs uh, when you know there was nothing downfield or there was nothing you know in his in his first read or two. Um, I don't know that that's that's sustainable. I agree with you. I don't think that that's something that once NFL defenses kind of get a lock on this guy, they're not going to be able to stay home. They're not going to have a spy. They're not going to have someone designated to stop him. And I think that's that's the uphill battle for a lot of these quarterbacks. Um, after the first year, you started, and now, you know, teams have tape on you. Teams have uh, have time to prepare for you. You know, they have the whole offseason to kind of figure out what you do well and what you don't do well. And I think that's going to hurt somebody like Josh Allen. Another thing that bothers me a little bit with him is that I don't think they did a whole lot to improve a pretty lackluster supporting cast. There's not much at running back. Uh, LaShawn McCoy is another year older, and I, I really don't think they brought in any type of playmaker to help take the uh, the focus off of Josh Allen. And then you look at the receiving core, and I understand they added Cole Beasley, but I don't think they did a whole lot to upgrade that uh, that that core. Um, Cole Beasley does help because what Josh Allen did do, another thing that he did do well is work the middle of the field, especially the short area in the middle. Um, and Cole Beasley is somebody who can help with that. But I still don't think that they have a playmaker on that team at the wide receiver position that can make a difference. So I'm going to say right now that I think Josh Allen is 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 in for a long season. And I think and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think a lot of people are are taking Josh Allen and saying, "Hey, look, this guy isn't so bad because last season all we heard before the season was how bad Josh Allen is, how bad of a quarterback he's going to be, and pleasantly he's surprised. He was a little bit better than what we kind of thought he was going to be, at least for fantasy. Uh, you know, so you were able to spot start him, especially like you said, Stompy, at the end of the year. And I don't think a lot of people were expecting that. So I think people see that there is something there with Josh Allen. He could be better than what um, he was advertised. That doesn't always mean that he's going to be a good quarterback, though, and I think that's where people are getting caught up. I could be wrong, but I have a feeling that that has a lot to do with people's stance on Josh Allen currently. So, um, John, what do, you, what do you think? What's your take on Josh Allen? Uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, just not not really a good quarterback. And uh, so 
Real quick, I've got to apologize. I'm going to end up bringing this up a couple of times, but I'm just, I'm still a little bit giddy about this. But I was on Dino Blueprint last week and uh, we talked about Josh Allen. Um, and, you know, the the fact that he does have that, that, you know, that rushing floor that kind of enhances his value. And what I said then, and I'll, I'll say it here too, is that that's not, that's not something that the Buffalo Bills want to see. That's not something that they want to have happen. And once you take that away, I mean, the idea is you put him out there and let him run around while you're working on getting him comfortable standing in the pocket and delivering downfield. And you also have to work on the accuracy, especially, you know, the deeper you get, the less accurate he becomes. Uh, And, you know, the, so early on, they're kind of okay with him taking off and running, but ultimately you want to see your franchise quarterback start to get more comfortable in the pocket and more comfortable, you know, making his reads and throwing the ball. And as that occurs, you know, the more comfortable he gets and the more they kind of put the reins on him as far as it, taking off and running you know, the, the less you're going to get those rushing yards. And I think that his fantasy production is going to drop pretty precipitously once, you know, once, once they do start to rein him in as far as the rushing goes. So just a couple more points here. So Josh Allen also had a seven touchdown to seven interception ratio, his last five games um, going to Josh Hermsmeyer's air yards, his, expected completion percentage versus actual completion percentage. He had a minus 7.5. So he completed a lot less than, uh, than the statistics say he should have. And finally, I, James, you brought up a a point about his um, pass catchers. And there was an argument on Twitter a few days ago about, it was like Mitch Trubisky's pass catchers were worse than Josh Allen's. <laughs> and it was one of the craziest things I've ever heard. Like, so, or, or seen like, it's just what, yeah, yes. Okay. You can see slight improvements. We, we saw what John Brown did with a big arm to Joe Flacco, though. Josh Allen, I feel is not Joe Flacco. Um, Cole Beasley's another guy that, is going to be kind of dumped out, but I'm pretty sure Josh Allen had issues with completions, short completions, like 10 to 15 yards. He was below average in terms of complete, really anything beyond like seven yards. He was below average in terms of completion percentage. And like, I like Robert Foster. I like Zay Jones, but he, now he's got a rookie tight end as well. Like, I don't know if you can say it, like his weapons got significantly better. I, I understand the argument that they did, but like significantly, no. not really. And if you're going to compare them to Chicago, it's Allen Robinson who has a 1400 yard, 14 touchdown season. Um, it's Trey Burton, who was the tight end seven last year. It's Tariq Cohen, one of the best pass catching running backs in the league. Uh, David Montgomery, who was a great pass catcher in his own right. Mike Davis can pass catches or pass catches, catch passes. Um, Anthony Miller, I think the jury's still out, but I would put him right up there with um, the top wide receivers in terms of Buffalo's. So it's just, 
where I think people are telling, selling these themselves, these narratives about Josh Allen because of those last five weeks. But when you really dive into those last five weeks, there was like three or four good weeks and the rest were terrible. And the only reason those other three weeks were good was because he ran for 135, 101 and 95 yards. Yeah, man, I don't, I, I don't think that the receiving core really improved a whole lot for Josh Allen, like at all. I mean, you take it, you kind of take a step back at tight end just because now you've got a rookie. Dawson Knox looks good, but I mean, he's still a rookie. And then I don't think Cole Beasley really plays as far as like in terms of fantasy production. I don't think that he does much for Josh Allen. I think he's running behind Zay Jones for the slot. And Robert Foster to me is still the number one, even over John Brown. And he's still, he's a better deep threat, honestly, than John Brown is. So I, you know, I don't, I don't know that, that John Brown has a huge effect on, you know, as far as what they already had. And I don't, I really don't think Cole Beasley really even factors in personally. Yeah, and also, I mean, Anthony Miller is a guy who, like you said, the jury's still out on. He had seven receiving touchdowns. That's more than Zay Jones has ever had, Robert Foster. I mean, seven receiving touchdowns in his rookie year, and you look at the guys that are on that that Buffalo squad, and you just don't see seven in a season for those guys in multiple years. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's even close when you compare those receivers, and I agree with John. It definitely didn't get significantly better. You added a few minor pieces, uh, but like you said, I mean, you lose a guy like Charles Clay, who, you know, when healthy, you know, is, is a, you know, a veteran tight end who would help a younger uh, quarterback who's, you know, struggling to make reads um, would be a nice safety valve to have. And now you have a rookie at that position. So I, I definitely think, and and really the big thing to me is the running game. I mean, I, I don't know that they addressed the running game like they needed to, to really try to take the pressure off of this young quarterback. I, it's almost night and day with what the Jets did. I mean, to take some pressure off of Sam Darnold, they went out and signed Le'Veon Bell and, I think getting a, a running game that you can build around and use, you know, take some of the pressure off of Sam Darnold. It's exactly what you had to do for the Jets. So, um, yeah, I didn't see that in Buffalo. So, no, I, I, I don't think Josh Allen's situation improved, and I don't, I, I still don't think he's very good. So, I think we're on the same page with that at least. Time for a listener league update. Vampire League is back and undergoing a complete reset and redraft with one big exciting change. For those who don't remember, the Super Show started a Vampire Dynasty League in 2018. Three divisions of 11 listeners and one co-host is the Vampire. The Vampire gets one selection in the Startup Snake Draft and otherwise sits out the entire draft while the rest of you build your Dynasty team. Nine starting spots, two super flex, and seven regular flex, tiered PPR, point per carry, point per first down, tight end premium, and big play, big day bonuses. But be careful, if you lose to the vampire, he shall feast and gain power. Lose to the vampire and he can steal a player or pick from your roster. Now for the big new twist. We're expanding from three divisions to four, so plenty of room available, even if you aren't a returning player. And we're bringing in some heavy hitters to play the vampire roles. 
The Super Show will team up to own one of the four vampires, so square off against a team of Stompy, James the Brain, and myself. Or you can take on the Trade Addicts podcast. Dynasty Outhouse and Brian Haar will be wheeling and dealing as they try to usher in the era of darkness. Addicts style. Or face off with the open bar. J. Mike and Gabe the Man Bun are never late, always on time. And they're bloodthirsty, and it is happy hour. Last but not least, you could test yourself against the creator of the Vampire League format, the original Prince of Darkness, Tom Kislingberry. Tom Degenerate's twisted mind invented the vampire. Don't you think he also perfected it? To apply, DM the Superflex Super Show account on Twitter at Superflex Show. Tell us you want in and which division you'd like to join if you have a preference. Give us a couple options just to make sure that we can get you in one that is going to be satisfactory to you. If your podcast catcher gives you the option to rate and review, give us both a rating and a review and send us a screenshot. It's first come, first served, but priority given to those who rate and review. It's an all-star cast of vampires in the ultimate Dynasty League experience, so bring your cross and your garlic, sharpen your wooden stakes, and secure your spot now. Well, let's get your first one, James, your first cognitive distortion here, and see if uh, if we agree on that one, too. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we won't, but I'm going to start. Um, <laughs> the belief uh, that 2020 picks are somehow more valuable than picks in other years. That That is the belief. People are giving up way too much for these 2020 picks. And basically, they're doing it because they hear that the 2020 class is loaded. The problem is, the truth is, is that 2020 picks are just as valuable as any other year. And look, we're still a year out. And I know that there's a lot of talent that could, could be coming in 2020. And this is where I'm getting to. We don't know for sure who's coming out. We don't. Last year, we thought Justin Herbert was coming out. He didn't. Um, every year, there's always a handful of guys, Zach Moss, there's guys that we thought, man, these guys are going to come out. They're going to make this class great. And then they don't. And and it happens every year. Brian Edwards was another guy who could have come out this year at wide receiver to help that receiving uh, class and, and didn't. And so there's always guys that we expect, man, they're going to come out and this class is going to look good. If we have a handful of these running backs that decide, you know what? I'm going up against some tough competition this year. I have a really, really nice, uh, really nice situation here at, uh, at Clemson, a really nice situation here at Wisconsin, a really nice situation here at, at Georgia. Now maybe I want to stay an extra year. Then all of a sudden guys like Deandre Swift, maybe they come back. Maybe Travis Eden comes back. Maybe, um, you know, maybe uh, Jonathan Taylor comes back or maybe some of these receivers, you know, Jerry Judy says, you know what, one more run at Alabama. We didn't win it. I, I think we can win it next year. I'm going to stay. You know, there, there are guys that can choose to stay and come out in 2021. And if that happens, man, you just gave up the farm and this draft class could look completely different than what we projected it to. Um, so to me, you're, you're risking a lot by dealing. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're trading for these 2020 picks at a premium at this point. I mean, I have never seen a draft class fetch what a 2020 first is fetching right now. 
Um, and and that's insane when you look at you, you just look back at the draft class we had with Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, Alan Kamara, guys like that. Those picks did not go for nearly what these 2020 picks are going for. And we're also shooting for that. That's that's basically what we're saying. We're saying that this class is going to be that. And there's no guarantee of that. Um, I know that there's a lot of talent coming out. Trust me, I've done a lot of the film study. And I know that there's a lot of guys who could be coming out that have a whole lot of talent. But just be careful because when you're dealing for a when you're dealing for these picks, you're paying a premium and you don't really know quite yet what you're getting with that 2020 class. So I'm just saying a lot of things change. It could be decisions to stay back. It could be injuries. It could be coaching change. It, there's several things that could happen uh, between now and, you know, time to declare for the draft in, in 2020 um, that could really change the outlook of things. So Again, this is just just my take on it. Just just be careful because I do not feel that a 2020 pick at this point of the year is worth more than a pick at any other you know in any other year at this point of the season a year uh, a year out from from basically when those picks kind of take shape on what they're going to be. Oh Lord, yeah, I I couldn't mm -hmm. disagree more with this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the reason is because, and I think we compare it to, and it might be recency bias, a lot of it, but let's compare it to the 2019 class here. And yeah, I think we were all pretty high on the wide receivers, uh, coming into this class, but there just wasn't a ton of hype with this class. If you can remember back that far or, and I, I guess, and it, it, like I said, it might be recency, but I, I don't remember the, the same amount of hype for the 2019 classes we're seeing for the 2020 class. And if we actually look at the, I guess, way too early class here, I mean, we're talking about maybe an entire first round that you would take above the number one player in the 2019 class. And yes, I understand that some guys will go back to school. We didn't expect guys like Colin Johnson or Ty Johnson to go back to school last year. And that's fine. But when you compare the wide receiver class, even now, and this is the easiest way to do this for me or to visualize this for our listeners is Nikhil Harry may not even be in the top five if he was in the 2020 class in terms of wide receivers, let alone top five of the class. I mean, you got, you have guys like, like I said, Jerry Judy, uh, you have CD lamb, LaVisca Chenault, um, Ty Johnson, Colin Johnson. Uh, you can look at like T Higgins as well. So even if like two or three of those guys choose to go back to school, you're still talking about, three, four guys that are better than the number one wide receiver or I, what most consider, not John, but what most consider the number one wide receiver of this class. And the same goes for the running backs. I mean, and I know you know this, James, is like you, you start listing off the running backs in this class. It's going to take a while until you get to Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs, J David Montgomery. Mm -hmm. And we probably need to revisit that exercise we did a few weeks back at some point. Well, but just, we, just do it in terms of we all draft um, from the last like three classes and see where guys lie. 
but you have like DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, Travis Etienne, um, and now I'm forgetting everybody, and it makes me sound like an idiot. Um, Cam Akers, Cam Akers, AJ uh, Dillon, Eno Benjamin, yeah. Like yeah, it just like I guarantee you, you probably take the everybody that we named at at, at what we currently see them as over the. <sighs> That you might get one of the 2019 running backs in there somewhere, but I doubt it. Here's the, here's the thing though that I think we also have to keep in mind is that our 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 rankings. You know, we we went through and we uh, Stompy. I know you watch a lot of film. You you watched film and you said, hey, there's a lot of guys I like and there's a lot of guys I don't like. And and obviously last year's class was a little bit of of the latter. There's probably more guys you didn't really see. You know, being being playmakers and that's fine. But think about how much it changed post-draft. I mean, landing spot is so important. When I sit down and I actually write down the running backs and the NFL teams, man, I don't know that, that all these running backs are going to land in spots that is anything more than a timeshare, no matter how talented they are. So, I mean, the well, situation so even is difficult. A, I, I think that's a different argument altogether, right? Because Well, I'm, when you look at that, though, you don't you have to value that when you're looking at these 2020 picks and going, okay, there's so much talent here, but, you know, like, it, it, I, I also have to keep in mind that there's only so many spots available sure. for these top-end talent, right? And that's so, fair. I mean, that's fair, and, and that's something that we talked about this year is there just weren't a lot of landing spots, but I would say that those running backs we're talking about in the 2020 class – are above many of these guys that exist. So, like, I think Marlon Mack is extremely replaceable. Um, Tampa Bay's a huge spot landing spot. Houston's a huge landing spot. Um, but even you also have to look at like aging areas. So, like, the Arizona Cardinals, DJ is going to be 28 going into next season. So, you could definitely see him being replaced, maybe not next season, but the following season. I just, there's only like, five to seven running backs that I would feel comfortable with going into next season, just because that's what I view the talent from this running back class. And yes, you, I mean, you're right. Most of these guys are going to land in time share situations. They're not going to be those bell cow backs. Well, well, most of them won't be. I mean, there, I'm sure there'll be a, a, a few that all will end up being like the 70, 30 split type guys. But even then, you're talking about guy like again, if somebody if one of those top like we'll say six or seven backs lands in Indianapolis, I'm taking them over Marlon Mack. I think Marlon Mack's talented, but I think these guys are much more talented than Marlon Mack. Yeah, um, and I think I think I you, that's a good point. But I think again, we're projecting out a, a full year. You know, I, right. I have no well, idea. I mean, Andrew Luck could suffer a, a career-ending injury. You know, I mean, they're just – and I'm not saying it's likely to happen, but I am saying that you're taking on a lot of risk when you're paying a premium for those picks because, I mean, there's a year away from from gaining you anything, and you just don't know how the landscape's going to look in a year. And that's that, to me, is, is, is all I'm going to say is that when you do it th- at this time of the year, you're definitely taking on some risk. And, and uh, yeah, that's fair. I, I think – that's one of those things where it's if you're going to sell uh, sell for 2020 firsts, I'm okay with switching out 2020, 2019 first for 2020 first because I don't think there's any risk moving laterally there. And I think it's probably a little bit of a uh, better value on the 2020 side right mm-hmm. now. 
but and if you're selling like uh let's say a mike williams for 2021 i'm fine with that but i i think where your point stands is like when you're trying to sell those we'll call them i don't know if it's elite tier but like let's say those uh top tier uh players at the position like i'm i'm a guy that want would sell adam thielen and if you're going to sell Adam Thielen, I'm not, I, I wouldn't recommend selling him for like, let's say two 2021st. I would recommend selling him for a 2021st. And I, I mean, throw a, a player in there, Chris Godwin. I don't know if you could do that right now, but, but the point still stands is you're getting a, a productive player plus the 2021st. So you're kind of hedging your bets there. So I, I think that's mm-hmm. where your view comes into play for me is that, yeah, don't sell everything for 2021st you got to hedge your bets a little bit in those situations but if it's guys like calvin ridley like mike williams like those guys that are worth just a single 2021st i don't think you're you're taking that much risk mm-hmm. no I, I i do agree with you i think you you nailed it that's that's a, my thinking now i i do want to ask you a question though actually it's for both you and john i'd like to see where you guys stand I have seen this happen in two leagues that I am in, and I, I each time I just shake my head. Would you give up in a super flex league the 1.01 for a random 2021st? No. Absolutely, that's crazy. No. Yeah, I've seen it happen twice, and to me, that's just insane, like maddening, insane to me. You're talking about the first overall pick that's a quarterback. Yeah. Who's mm-hmm. going to start from for day five, one? For, yeah, for probably yep. four or five years at the very least. Yeah. But uh, the big thing, in, so this is going to segue a little bit into my first cognitive distortion. Um, I won't necessarily go there just yet. But uh, yeah, I mean, so the the problem with that would be the fact that, yeah, I mean, Kyler Murray starts from day one and scores fantasy points for you in 2019. So you'd be giving that up. And so for that, for that 20, so here's the problem. When people trade for a 2021st, they're imagining that 2021st turning into 1.01 in 2020 and they get their pick. But, you know, whether it's if they need wide receiver help, it's going to be Jerry Judy. If they need, uh, if they want running backs, which is usually going to be the case, it's it's probably what Swift or Etienne. Like it seems like that's kind of the 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 trend there, and and we even know that there are going to be some good quarterbacks in 2020. But that's the cognitive distortion in and of itself to me is the idea that you're trading for 2020's 1.01 necessarily, especially when you're giving up 2019 production. So the problem is you just traded away, you know, however many 2019 points. And and generally the average for a rookie is somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 fantasy points in like as a rookie. And from Kyler Murray, we could easily get close to 300 in in 2019. You just gave him all you, you, you gave the other person all those points you made it that much harder to turn that 2021st into 1.01 cuz you just gave them a free 300 points in 2019 so you know you first of all if you're going to trade for a 2021st you have to be realistic about the fact that it's not likely that that's going to be 1.01 especially if you're giving them 
2019 production in return for that 2021st. So, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to think in terms of the most likely scenario is this 2021st is somewhere in the middle of the round. You know, it's not real likely that you're turning that guy, you know, that, that person into a champion, but it's also pretty unlikely that you're keeping them, you know, as, as bad as they look on paper. So that's where I'm, and I end up kind of being in between the two of you guys on this a little bit. I do think that the 2020 class just in general is, is looks a little bit stronger, but you know, I don't want to give up a whole lot of 2019 production in order to get them. So for me, you know, where I would normally say, you know, next year's first round is worth this year's second round. I bump that up a little bit. I would say somewhere around 1.09 of 2019 is probably the point where I would start trading those away for 2021st because I don't think that you're going to get much 2019 production out of those picks, you know, beyond 1.08. I think that, it, you know, that's the point where we start rolling the dice with the the wide receivers like Paris Campbell, Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown. And those guys aren't likely to produce right away, you know. Um, and then, uh, and then even beyond that, we start talking about backup running backs like Alexander Madison and Damian Harris. We start talking about Hakeem Butler is still going it towards the end of the first round. Andy Isabella, you know that that's all stuff that I'd be willing to to roll the dice on a twenty twenty first, but. Um, you know, beyond that, if I'm getting the guys that I believe are going to produce in 2019, and to me, that's at least the top eight, then I'm, I'm going to do it because otherwise I'm, I'm devaluing that 2020 first by trading for it. Yeah, I I think I somewhat agree here. And and I think you did a good job of uh, explaining that the 2020 first right now, the value is probably little um higher than the 2019 because of that class the other aspect of this is that well and you brought it up is you need to assume it's always middle i always assume middle of the first or middle of the round because as james suggested you have no idea what's going to happen uh not only in real football but in, in on your fantasy team you could run into like you could have a stacked roster but you could run into a ton of injuries and finish mm-hmm. last in the league yeah so you can't always assume that's going to be a late first and i hate those polls that say well <laughs> assume late no i'm not going to do no, that i'm no. gonna assume middle because i have no idea how this year is going to go yeah and when they say they 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 always like to say 2021st and then in parentheses they say early i'm like you you don't know that and in fact if you make this trade it's not going to be early Right. I've seen and but I I mean either way I've seen way too many worst to first turnarounds in one year. That's it. That's the other thing. I mean there's there's a whole other cognitive distortion that we are we're going to have to get to the next time we do this on you know the idea of rebuilding because you can rebuild a fantasy roster fast, super fast. The the idea that you have to just plan on tanking an entire year to me, that's out the out the door. Like you don't know that you you certainly don't know that in June. I've seen I've seen it way too many times, where a bad team on paper 
ends up with some guys who get hot. And part of that is because of, you know, just the ability of running backs to work their way into, you know, into a significant role in their offense and end up being a, you know, we, we saw it with guys like Chris Carson last year, late in the season, we saw guys like CJ Anderson and, and Damian Williams. Those guys came out of nowhere. If you had them on your dynasty roster last year, you looked like absolute garbage until these guys got on the field. And, you know, you got, if you, if you were close enough to being a contender and you got into the playoffs with those guys, with Damian Williams, CJ Anderson, you probably made a run. You probably won your championship. So, you know, it's it's just there's way too much unknown right now. So don't play that game, first of all. You know, it, it's it's it is way too easy to to come out of nowhere to contend. So don't assume anything. Yeah, right. And then the other aspect of this is that we don't know what future classes look like we have a decent idea of what 2020 looks now because of last season but we haven't seen 2020 play out so i can't i don't have an an idea of what 2020 will look 2021 will look like i think the the only thing i know about 2021 is likely trevor lawrence comes out and he's likely the first overall pick that's all i can tell you about the 2021 class right now yeah and I didn't start trading for 2020 picks until this last season was over. And then I, cause I have an idea of what this 2020 class will look like now. I mean, yes, James makes a valid point that some guys will drop out or go back to school. Um, but we still have a decent idea of who is eligible and who will be good if they come out. We can't say that about 2021. So I wouldn't be trading for 2021 picks because I don't know the value of those picks yet. And like John said, I don't know if they should count as a first value right now because you have no idea. Do you, and it's, it's, I think you brought this point up, but if you compare 2019 to 2018 and 2020, you would devalue the 2019 picks. So not every year's first round picks are the same value. So you have no idea what the actual value of 2021 picks is in terms of players. So for for me, I am waiting until at the very least the end of the college season or towards the end of the college season before I start trading for 2021 picks. Yeah, I think that's a good policy. And I got to be honest, I, I don't think that dynasty leagues should have, should go beyond you know, the following year's picks. I feel like, you know, when you do your rookie draft for 2019, that's when, you know, by the start of of the 2019 rookie draft, that's when you unlock the 2020 picks. I don't I don't think it should go beyond that. I like that. Yeah. And I I, I agree with what, what both of you have said um so far to this point on this topic. I think you bring up a great point in a, in an let me say this in a normal fantasy league of uh, a normal dynasty league where it's set up where every year you have, you have a rookie draft and every year you get to keep all of your players. You can make your roster moves. However, um, I totally agree with that. The only caveat I'll give you is in uh, salary cap leagues. It, it can be set up a little differently. Um, I'm in several different ones um, with, uh, with different, different rules and different uh, regulations. And, 
Um, at that point, it's a little bit different, in my opinion, only because you can build your team and you can say, hey, look, I can take a guy in 2021 because I'll have uh, a spot on my practice squad or on my taxi squad, whatever, uh, available. And, um, you know, I, you know, saying that I, I plan on keeping these later rookie picks on there for a couple of years and freezing their salary, you know, I can do that. So, so just different rules, different leagues are going to have different formats in a standard dynasty league. I totally agree with you guys though. Those picks, um, I mean, when you're giving up a year of production, two years of production, three years of production, you're waiting on these picks, but somebody else is picking a player that's giving you that production for two years, for three years. Even if that pick, even if the guy they take is a bust, they still made out. The reason why they made out is because they can move on. They already know what this guy is. They're already, they're over it. You know, they, they can cut that, cut with that guy and they already know going into the draft in 2022 which they traded a first round pick you know to, to get this bust they already know what they have and what they don't have so to me that's really valuable knowing the type of player that you have because you, they're going to get that opportunity right away um, is, is really valuable to me I want to know what I have I don't want to go well in 2022 I got three picks so you know three years from now you know I'll, I'll be able to make some selections and see if those guys pan out you know like I, you have to remember these rookie picks that you're making, you're waiting for too. I mean, 95% of these picks, you're you're going to be waiting after you make the pick to see what they do. You know, you're, you're not, they're not plug and play in your lineup for the most part, you know? So um, yeah, it, to, to me, that's, that's just it. You have to weigh that. You have to weigh, um, you know, the, the length of time you're going to be waiting for production compared to what you would be getting if you, uh, if you, you know, kept a 2019 pick or how you value the 2019 picks compared to the 2020 and 2021 picks. So, uh, no, I, I totally agree with you guys. I definitely think that that's, uh, you know, th those picks are not a 2020, 2021, 2022 first doesn't equal first. Uh, they definitely go down in value, in my opinion, as the further away they get. So that was my uh, that was going to be my first cognitive distortion, by the way. So um, you kind of got it out of the way for me and actually uh, got got a lot of the uh, the actual truth to it um, covered as well. But uh, just, so just to cover, I mean, that's exactly the belief for me is uh, 2020, 2021 and 2022 first equals a quote unquote first. And the truth is that time there's an economic principle called time value and that's why we you know if you if you were to loan a you know a certain amount of money if i was to loan money to james i would charge interest because of the fact that i'm sacrificing the time that i have with that money in in order to to give it to him so basically you know the idea is by trading a 2019 first I'm giving up whatever player that was and whatever amount of points he's going to score in 2019. And, you know, James gets to, gets to take those fantasy points now. And I have to wait a year for, a, to get any kind of fantasy points in the real world. We charge interest for that. We charge interest for the fact that I don't get to spend, I don't get my fantasy points right now. I don't get to spend my money right now. I have to wait a year to spend my money when you pay it back. So in fantasy football, to me, it should be the exact same principle. Time value affects the, the value of those picks a lot. It, you know, depending on which year it is, when you start going even beyond 2020, like at 2021 first, you've got to wait two years to get any fantasy points out of that. 
2022, you've got to wait three years to get any fantasy points out of that. And if it ends up being a wide receiver, then or or a tight end or maybe even a quarterback, you've got to wait, you know, even longer for to to get significant points out of that. It's really hard to make up the points that you would have got in 2019, 2020, 2021 if you have to wait until 2022 to do it. So I, and just as an example, and I don't want to give too much of this away. I do have an article coming out on dynastyleaguefootball.com that I would love for everybody to read. That's on this exact concept, but you know, the, the, uh, the average over the last two years of fantasy points scored by players who came out in, uh, in 2017, was 167 fantasy points. So 334 fantasy points over the course of two years that you would have had to to give up in order to get a 2019 pick uh, in return for a 2017 pick. You would have lost 334 points. The only rookie in the last in the last three rookie classes to eclipse 334 fantasy points in one year. Saquon Barkley, 364 fantasy points. So in other words, Saquon Barkley is the only one who actually returned the value that you gave up. The problem is you didn't get that until 2018 from him. So, you know, it, it you still didn't get back a full return because you didn't get anything in 2017. And that's if you made a trade you gave up a 2017 pick for a 2018 pick. It ended up being 1.01 and you got Saquon Barkley. So again, I don't want to go too far into that, but just time value affects that, that belief to a point where we're giving up way too much value by trading for future firsts. Yeah. I can't even add anything. I, that was masterful. The way you explained, uh, you know, the way you compared it, to, to money, money loans and interest is is perfect. That's perfect because you, you're absolutely right. When somebody is getting something right now, they're paying for the convenience of having it right now. You have to pay a little extra if you want something right now, as opposed to waiting. You know, in this case, a year. You know, you you pay a little extra, and that's the way it should be with these picks. And the further out you go, the more you should have to pay. If you do a loan over 30 years as opposed to 20 years, you're going to pay a little bit more for the convenience of spreading it out over 30 years. So that's just – that's perfect. The way you put it, John, was perfect. I can't even uh, – I, I, I can't add anything that would make that better. So well done. It was okay. <laughs> you know it's better than okay. It was the uh, best thing you ever heard mediocre man i think that I, I i think that uh the wrestling outfit you were wearing i don't even remember what those things are called but i think it's cutting off your air supply yeah absolutely. i i came back from the <laughs> dead to hear singlet. that to hear that explanation it was God. a singlet singlet there you go yeah yeah he yeah doesn't, he has enjoyed it i say mediocre but that was very well put i i completely agree um, and that's Whoa. why, like I said, the, I, I wait, I wait on those future, like those future, future picks, because I just don't know what those va the value is. I don't know how they're going to like, and will we'll you start using money again, how they're going to inflate, how they're going to deflate, whatever you want to call it. 
-hmm. because 2021 is a year and a half away before we actually know what we're looking at. Um, 2022 is too far away. I mean, then I get it. Okay. Well, what about Debbie? That's fine. We're not, we're not a Debbie podcast. Go to talk to a Debbie or listen to a Debbie podcast. (laughs) But the point still stands is that we like, like this year, we Kyler Murray came out of nowhere. Like, we don't know if that's going to happen in the future in 2021. Maybe, maybe there's another guy that comes behind Trevor Lawrence. Uh, maybe Justin Fields becomes an absolute monster and, and he won't show that until the 2021 season or the 2020 season. We just don't know what that class really shapes up to be. And the closer we get, like this 2020 class, after we've seen them for a full one or two seasons, we have a decent idea of what that class will look like. So I, I, I'm not trading too far out. This is much like looking at Dynasty too far out. I think you hear it all the time on, on good podcasts. You hear it's a, it's a good piece of advice is don't look past two or three seasons because – I mean, people, people say, oh, well, that your league could have folded by then. And that's not necessarily what I, I, I don't think that's the best argument, but a better argument is players get traded, players sign other places, uh, players get drafted and situations change in the blink of an eye and you can't predict two to three years out. So, and that's, a, and, and just apply that to draft picks. You can't predict what's going to happen and even like next year. So you shouldn't be looking two years out with these draft picks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Plus there's just, you know, to go back to economics a little bit, there's, there's the marginal satisfaction that you get out of it. And, and in this case, that being the fantasy points. Again, if you had traded, if you had traded a 2018 pick for a 2019 pick, you would have missed out on about 140 fantasy points. It's it's actually interesting. The the um the 2017 rookie class and the 2018 rookie class were very comparable on the average amount of points scored. 2017, part of the problem was we had Dalvin Cook go down with an injury fairly early on. It brought the average down, and then we had John Ross, which, ugh. Um, and in, meanwhile, 2018, I mean, for the most part, you had all of those guys performing. Um, you know, you didn't see a lot of Royce Freeman. You didn't see a lot of Rashad Penny, but they still they still produced. They were still on the field. Um, but it, it ended up being very close between the two classes. But it's 140 points that you would have had and the fact that you have to give that up, you know, it, it actually devalues the 2019 pick a little bit. And I, and I mean, we can actually apply that realistically because we could say, you know, you gave up, you gave up a 2018 pick that ended up being carry on Johnson and his, you know, 200 fantasy points or whatever it was in, uh, in 2018. You gave that up for a 2019 pick. That 2019 pick ended up being, you know, fa- a fairly late one. And all of a sudden, like you're looking at again, you know, guys like Hakeem Butler and 
you know, some of the some of the guys who are going late in the first round, even Debo Samuel and Paris Campbell. Are you really going to trade Carry On Johnson for Debo Samuel right now? And and I it's it's frustrating to end up in that situation. So, you know, for that reason, just just take advantage of the fact that you've got the pick right now and make it, you know, and get the get whatever points you're going to get. So, yeah, anyways, that's uh, that's that's the the distortion and the truth. Ooh, another uh, behind... here's an, here's another uh, visual for for your argument, too. Yeah. Um, if you look at the 2018 class, I think Kareem Hunt and Alvin Kamara were going like 1.07 and 1.11 at one point. Or sorry, oh, yeah. that was a 2017 class. Correct. Yeah. And uh, if you had traded because you knew Saquon Barkley was coming out that next season and tried to get a chance at that 1.01, you would have missed on guys like elite. Well, it's hard to say that Hunt's elite, but two very good, two elite running backs that you are, got, were late round picks. You got most of two elite seasons from Kareem Hunt. Yeah. Well, and, but, but yeah, point. I mean, and my, my comment was more about him as a player, not situationally, but. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but point still stands is that you still have those and 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 especially in drafts that like in rookie drafts that happened before the NFL draft, you still have those picks that you just don't know where they land cuz like let's be real. I mean, Alvin Kamara landed in the perfect situation. Kareem Hunt landed in the perfect situation. And if you had traded your 2017 picks for 2018, and and that's and that's kind of a hard comparison between 18 and 19 because 2018 was still a loaded class in terms of especially running back talent, but you would have missed out on guys like Kamara, on guys like Kareem Hunt because you felt, oh, I want to get a chance at Saquon Barkley, Nick Chubb, Darius Geis. Yeah, and. Yeah, I mean, two of those actually helped you if you managed to get there. Uh, one of those missed the entire season. So, yeah, there's – that's I guess, yeah, that's totally it. There's just – there's so much utility in having a player over a pick. So, you know, and, and that's – it's the it, – to me, it might be the biggest distortion in all of Dynasty football because people love the intrigue of a draft pick. They love the excitement of knowing I get to make a draft pick. The problem is when it comes mm -hmm. time to take a draft pick, all this uh, to make the pick, all of a sudden that utility goes down and it goes down even more. You know, when you actually put a, a name and a face to that draft pick, it actually loses some, some of the, the marginal satisfaction behind it. But it loses even more if you stop and think about the idea that you, you gave up Kareem Hunt or Alvin Kamara, because you're right. Kamara at one point was uh, was just barely a first round pick. Do you do you know what this reminds me of? I, have you guys ever seen? A, there's an episode of Family Guy where where Peter Griffin sits through <laughs> he sits through some sort of yeah, yeah some sort of sales pitch, and he's supposed to be awarded a boat, 
And he sits there and sales, the sales guy says, well, you could have the boat or you could have whatever's in the mystery box. And Peter looks at Lois and he's like, what? He's like, the mystery box could be anything. It could even be a boat. You know, we want one of those. We'll take the box. Like that's actually what this reminds me of, because you are giving up in, in most situations something that you know, you, you know what it is and you're giving it up for something that you hope is what you know <laughs> that you're giving up. Like, it's just silly. Like, yeah, it really is. When you think about it in terms like that, it's just, I think people are, are so infatuated with the unknown that they would rather, well, what if it's Saquon Barkley? What if? <laughs> yeah, but Saquon, like, if you do the study, Saquon Barkley comes around once in such a great while, and your chances of hitting on that player are so rare that, like, I just take what you have now. Like, you know, sometimes that's the better option. Um, and I just don't think people see it that way, unfortunately. So, yeah, uh, that's, uh, I, I've, I've heard that before and I, it was from, I, I, so I want to give a shout out to Bobby Koch for making that same analogy at one point that might've been in a private DM between him and I, but um, yeah, we talked about that as well. So that's, that's funny. Cause it is, it's the perfect analogy. You're giving up a boat for something, a mystery box and in the best case scenario is a boat. So yeah, don't, don't do that. Stop. Let's stop overvaluing these picks, but we, uh, we kind of made a decision on the fly here cause we've got a bunch more cognitive distortions to get to. So we're going to split this up into two episodes, make up for the fact that we uh, that we sat out last week and uh, kind of recovered um, from all of the uh, the all the battles on Twitter that we all had to fight, um, mostly with one guy in particular. Um, and uh, I cannot wait, cannot wait till he gets flushed down the damn toilet for good. But so we're gonna wrap up real quick on this part one of the cognitive distortion episode. We'll be right back with some more cognitive distortions for you. See you in just a minute. Take your care. 